Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, it's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm well. Um, uh, well, before I get on to the guest info, which is a first time guest here in Stories of the Supernatural, I wanted to remind you all to sign up for my newsletter at MarlenePardo.com or MiamiGhostChronicles.com. It's a once a week uh, newsletter. And usually I write some short article true crime spooky story just weird stuff and i put in there links to some other podcasts or videos related to it um also i announced anything having to do with my books like um a couple of weeks ago i was promoting my last release the uh hot day on a cold slab which is a true crime book uh i had a hundred book giveaway on goodreads on amazon and you know, one of the ways I let everybody know about it is on my uh, on my newsletter. So by all means, please sign up for it. Number two, I wanted to talk about uh, a new sponsor that we have. Uh, it's called Plan to Stay Safe. And what they do is they have different types of supplies to non-lethal, of course, to keep you safe. Stun guns, pepper sprays, hidden cameras, diversion safes, knives, kubotons, all the things that you need to stay safe, whether you're at home, whether you're out and about, these are all self-defense and security products um, uh, that you could purchase because they have very reasonably priced goods to basically give you peace of mind, uh, whatever it is that you might need. Uh, they also have a great deal going on, which is uh, any order delivered in the United States, $50 or more gets free shipping. Okay, $50 or more free shipping anywhere in the United States. That is a great deal. So check them out at plantostaysafe.com, plantostaysafe.com. All right, now on to the good part. Let me tell you about the guest that we have here uh, today. His name is Brother Gary Joseph. And in 2005, he had a heart attack and it stopped his heart. And at once, when he was in the afterlife, immersed in a direct encounter with God, he absorbed multiple spiritual messages. Uh, he recounts his near-death experience and the unusual encounters that have continued weekly ever since. 
He's written two books about that, Proof of the Afterlife 1 and 2, where he shares his message of hope and certainty that there is life after death. His stories detail God encounters, chance meetings with angels, visions, dreams, and messages from the other side. Uh, Brother Gary has been a vowed brother of the Catholic order since 2007. He is the founder of the Servants of the Father of Mercy, an association of vowed and lay members in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. The servants follow the rule of St. Benedict, taking vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and its lay members must commit themselves to practicing basic Catholic spirituality and serving homeless people at least five hours a month. And I will have a link to his website on the credits of the show, and we'll go ahead and uh, give that information out towards the end of the show. So help me welcome uh, Brother Gary. How are you doing today? Oh, great, Marlene. Uh, it's just awesome uh, to know about you and, and your show. You're doing such amazing work. No, it's my pleasure to have you on. And I'm going to ask you, obviously, in the bio information, it's, it notes that you had this near-death experience in 2005. But prior to that, had anything happened? Yes, uh, I was thinking that today uh, before your your show and I remember uh, as a teenager in high school, I briefly, I'll just share this so that people sure. can, maybe they connect with their past, uh, things that kids don't often think about, as I did not. I would uh, take a break sometimes, five minutes uh, before the period, and the teacher said, you know, take a break, so we'd lay our heads down, and I noticed Starting around freshman year, I had about four years uh, during those breaks where I would, of all strange things, I would see uh, airline crashes. And for people that know the early 70s, uh, that was quite a time. Uh, the Eastern Airlines, uh, L-1011 that went down in the Everglades. Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, the uh, DC-10 crash in uh, Chicago. Well, I saw these crashes uh, as a teenager, usually about two, on average, two weeks before they happened. And uh, I would come home and tell uh, my parents, and they would be like, well, wh where is it? Wh when is it? And I said, I don't know. I, I just saw it with my head down on my desk. And uh, so that was the beginning uh, that evidently from the other side that the person uh, is being groomed uh, mm -hmm. is what we found out later. So a lot of times kids that have these gifts uh, and children, they start getting groomed uh, by the other side at an early age. Uh, but I did not know that. Of course, you don't know it when you're going through it. Sure. And uh, then when I was uh, in college, my last year of college, I had a vivid dream and a vision that said I would become an author and that my books would be published by Penguin Putnam. Okay. And uh, I was only 19. I shared that with uh, some pastor that don't believe in that kind of stuff. It was so vivid that I had to tell people about it. And uh, 
after some work of all things in the airline industry in my early career, and I moved to Miami, uh, I, uh, I published my first book, Get the Job You Want in 30 Days. I didn't think much of the uh, vision from age 19. And of all weird things, the book gets published by Berkeley. And uh, I told uh, God, I said, you know, you had the book thing right, but you had the publisher wrong. Uh, I said, I, I, I did write a book just as you predicted. When I, because by this time, I was uh, by around 1989. I was already uh, late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, and so some time had gone by. Long story short, in 1993... My editor at Berkeley sent a letter to all the authors, and she said, I just want to let you know that we are no longer Berkeley Books. We're now Penguin Putnam. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> that amazing? Yes, yes. And I, I felt like an inch tall after that because I, I three years earlier, I tell God, you know, you don't have things right. <laughs> right. And you know what's really funny? Because I know that a lot of people sometimes will say people that have had psych, what they think is psychic is basically information that they have stored in their subconscious mind. In other words, that's really where they're drawing it from. They think they don't know it, but they do. But let's face it. There's no way. There's no way you could have known that. No. Mm -mm. You know, this wasn't something that somehow you heard or saw and you stored in your subconscious mind. And then it, how could you ever have known that? there was going to be a change in the name of the book company. That's wow. <laughs> Keep going. That's great. Uh, and it was like humbling. I really felt so small and really humbled because here I am telling off God at age 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you can't even get the publisher correct. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> let me just, yeah. I take that back. I did. Uh, I'll take that back. And also during that same year, uh, we had not heard from my brother, uh, Jimmy, for, oh, a good seven years. He, I don't know, he had a big chip on his shoulder and he didn't want to talk to anybody. He had his own life. So I had, I had a dream on a Wednesday night around the same time my book got published. And, and in the dream, he was laying on apartment floor no carpet no furniture all by himself and he was dying in the dream so i just kind of dismissed that wednesday night i go to bed thursday thursday night the exact same dream nothing changed it was really like plugging in a dvd and seeing the same movie on a second on a second time okay. and so by now i knew uh, from the book thing and uh, and from the airline issues, I learned that uh, I better these things. So I called uh, an older sister who had friends that knew where my brother was. So they tracked him down, and he was located at that very same moment in St. Francis Hospital in New York. And they discovered that he had pneumonia for the third time. So 
here we discover that the dream is actually reality. And I told my sister to make sure that he knows that when he gets out of the hospital, he comes to Miami, uh, to my place, and uh, I'm going to take care of him. Because as much as I disliked my brother, uh, I still felt it was the right, right thing to do. Because in the dream, he was destitute. He had nobody. Okay. So we moved him to Miami. He got out of the hospital. My sister bought him an airline ticket. And uh, we found him a little one room over on the beach. Mm-hmm. So and, I, uh, let me tell you, that is, that's it. Let, let me ask you real quick. Before you have these, like you said, these visions, is there anything that kind of gives you a, like a feel, or does it just come out of nowhere? Or is there something it, that you say, uh, there's something I feel in my body or something that I know that this, I'm going to be seeing something. No, it comes, it really comes out of nowhere. There's, there's like nothing prior to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing that really just would, would cue me that it's going to happen. Uh, now we have a middle sister at this very moment. We've not heard from her since both funerals, my dad's funeral in the early 2000s, my mom's funeral 2010. She had a chip on her shoulder, we understand, and we have not heard from her. Uh, but uh, because we didn't hear from her, we, we, we took the estate, the house, everything, and all that was mine, uh, plus whatever my other sister did not want, I gave it all to the homeless. Okay. Uh, I took the cash and I gave it all away. Uh, I drove across country and handed it out to the to the homeless. Wow. And uh, so, long story short, my this middle sister shows up uh, ten years later, and she wants stuff from the house. And uh, oh. my older sister said, "Hey, look, I gave it all to him, and he gave it to the homeless." Well, that ended her that story. But long long story short. A week or two ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, and my middle sister was in the room. Uh, so for her, it would have been a dream, because she lives on the East Coast, and I live on the West Coast. So because she was in my bedroom, she would have probably been experiencing uh, And she told me that she took a lot of time to think about it, and that that was a good idea that I gave it all to the homeless. Wow. I thought when you said that, I said, oh, my God, is that going to be a... Those are my dogs. <laughs> Having a fit. I'm sorry, everybody. It's just everybody in my audience knows that I have my dogs with me. <laughs> and they, I made the mistake. I, I give them out like little treats and stuff like that. But sometimes yeah. I don't realize because I have I have rescue. I have nine rescues. Well, oh. it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but um, they they all, they're, you know, they cluster under my desk because, of course, and then if I have, if one has one treat and the rest don't, then it becomes like a free-for-all. And that's what you heard right there. <laughs> but my audience is used to it because I have a lot of animals and they hear these weird sounds in the background every once in a while. And it's like, yep, that's one of them. <laughs> but... 
let me ask you what after after your this middle sister you were saying you saw her basically when you saw her in your room this was not a dream this was actually you saw her yes yes uh same way that i saw my dad in um 2005 he came twice uh in the night i i sat up and he he was he had died in uh 2003 mm -hmm. uh and he was two nights in a row he was right at the foot of my bed uh looking at me and same with my sister she was standing on the side of my bed but she communicated through uh mental uh telepathy it was not uh audio uh she stood there and she spoke and she said i i thought about it and it was a good idea you gave it all to the homeless but I did not hear that audibly. I heard it uh, in my mind. Okay. okay. And sometimes that happens to me. I don't, uh, sometimes I hear things one of three ways. I, I'll hear it audibly, or I'll hear it mentally, or a, a third way, uh, I'll uh, hear it uh internally like a set of sensing thoughts okay okay if that makes right sense. yes absolutely right you hear people that are clairaudient that actually hear it but yeah. i've also heard of what you're describing which is you have almost like an internal knowing hearing if you want to call it that yeah which it's relayed that way yes and uh, so let me ask you this but in between because you're telling me your dad passed away in the early 2000s your mom passed away in 2010 and then between this in 2007 is when you had your experience yeah it was uh 2005 i had thyroid surgery in the summer in august and uh they took out half it was uh, a large growth about about the size they said of a golf ball and uh they left the other side in and uh, about three weeks after that surgery, the piece that was left, it went hyper, uh, which didn't surprise me because uh, I was experiencing that for many years. I was having uh, where it would overhype uh, to compensate for the tumor. And so I would have these like rushes of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, after that surgery, uh, it calmed down for three weeks, but then that one night, uh, it just surged with the hormones at about 1.15 uh, in the morning. And I I woke up very anxious. Uh, the hormones, I did not know it, but were already uh, off kilter. And I'm pacing. I turned the TV on. The next thing I know is that the, the heart just takes off like I saw Yeah, you get something like tachycardia, where you get that uh -huh. heart, heart beat real quick. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. It went from one to a thousand in a split second. Whoa. And I just knew I was dying. I It just it was a complete awareness that this was it. And I just had a very strong uh Sense that as I uh, collapsed on the living room floor, I just knew uh, that uh, that the energy from the 
body was exiting, I could feel the energy, the electricity going out the, the two feet and the two hands. And I thought to myself, well, as soon as that goes out, I must be dead. I, I, I was able to kind of follow the stream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, as soon as that sensation ended, then I was above my body. Uh, and the clock on the TV said 1.15. Uh, that's from me seeing it outside of my body. And, um, and then immediately I was brought before uh, God, the Father. I, I transitioned immediately from my body uh, to God, the Father, uh, basically the creator of the entire universe. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm on the other side of a gray screen because he said, you cannot see me. Uh, and so he has a big gray screen in front of us, but I knew it was him because the screen uh, would rip, just like you see in science fiction, there would be rips mm-hmm. uh, con- constantly, like just just ripping the screen, and then these pieces of just penetrating power and light would, would, would uh, break through. And when they did, it would just uh, it would just make me uh, shudder with with like a good fear. It wasn't a fear of of bad or evil. It was just a fear of like this is amazing. Right, right. The awareness and, of what you know you hear described in books, but not until you're actually experiencing it. It's yeah, like you're there. Yeah. The way I often tell people is uh, is kind of like just picture being alone on a beach one day, nice and quiet, and then over the side of the cliff, there's a roaring 747 coming to land right on the beach, uh, right at you, uh, and you're just consumed by this huge piece of machinery. Uh, that's coming out of nowhere. It's it's going to rock your world, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of uh, a small analogy of of what it was like uh, to be there, uh, and then to discover that he talks, but he does not speak the way he do. We do. He speaks in absorption, like a sponge. Uh, so it was really like uh, I was the sponge and he was the water. Uh, and so he would flood me with like hundreds of messages, okay. but they would just come in and they came in a flash, you know, an instant. Right. It's not because we're so caught up in measuring time the way we do. Yeah. Uh, so what happened? So uh, he he had that moment of just flooding, and then I was overwhelmed, of course, and then I, I said to him, uh, can I see you? And he said, no, just a very, that was not the way he talked all the other time. He, he talked, in that sense, just very direct, and the way we would. 
he just said the word no. And then after that, he said, if I let you see me, you, you will be permanently dead. Wow. So I, I, did not, uh, I did not ask that again. And uh, he went on uh, to talk. I had, as all my siblings did, we had, uh, we had father issues, okay. which most people listening would probably relate to that. Um, you know, dads can be a tricky thing. And uh, mm-hmm. our father, uh, one we were raised with, we had lots of issues uh, with him and we forgave him. Uh, took a, t- a lot of time, but sure. God, uh, he wanted me to know that he was a father. That was his, one of his main messages, uh, that he wanted to bring himself down to earth to me, that, that he's a father, but that he, he enormously care, cares, uh, for me, uh, and he also wanted me to know that as a father, he wanted to know that we, uh, that, that we each have a duty. And he brought up an issue. He said, it's like your dad. He said, we had to cut the grass when we were kids. And he said, that was your duty and your dad expected that uh, of you. Uh, he said, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm just like a father. I expect the duty that you are given uh, is to carry that out. Right. And, and, Let me ask you something. Do you think, looking back on that event, and I know this might be way out there, but do you think that that situation where you had that problem with your thyroid and basically it caused you to have that near-death experience, do you think that was all pre-planned so that you could have, I guess with the closest you could call it a face-to-face with God the Father for him to tell you that message? Or it oh, was just... That- it, I've often thought of that question, so so yes, great that you're asking it. That has been a top question in my mind. Uh, and the only evidence to support what you're saying mm-hmm. is, is I had, uh, after I got out of college, I was still out of my master's. I still was in my early 20s I finished early like 21 22 I had a dream one night from uh I thought it was from God and in the dream he said free to be free and free to be me and I had that two two times that dream uh free to be free and free to be me and I really felt like God was telling me uh, don't get hung up at this young age, uh, and and uh, I was rebelling inside against a lot of things from my parents, like the white picket fence mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I didn't want to do that route, especially because uh, my parents were not, 
you know, here you're you're living the white picket fence, but there's all this bad stuff going on in the house, you know. Sure. So I rebelled against that, and I, 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 but I didn't know where to go because that's what you're trained to grow up and and pursue. But God set me free. He said, no, he said, you're free to be free, free to be me. So what I feel is that he set me up for he knew that he would encounter me at a later age where where he could just pull things together. Uh, In other words, it was the right time for you to hear that message. Yes, uh huh. He 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 had that confidence that well, look, don't get hung up on things. Just live your life because I'm going to encounter you out here anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's kind of how I look back on it. Is he he set me free just to go do and live the way, and that's when I got involved with starting that that airline, People Express. My cousin and I both uh, went to New York. We lived our own lives uh, the way we wanted to. Right. Right. And sometimes it's like, you know, you know that saying, the teacher appears when the student is ready. Well, it, I, I kind of think of it sometimes. Maybe what you're describing is you got the message when you, when you were ready. Maybe the circumstances were difficult. Yeah. But maybe back then, what you're describing when you were like, you know, doing this thing where, like you said, I'm rebelling. Maybe at that point, the message, it, you weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. And no. So and it, I, it's all I, the timing. And I had, uh, back then, I had a lot of, a lot of hate and unforgiveness uh, and anger towards my dad and then also my mom because she was complicit. And I just was... I was just not ready, and sure. like you said, uh, and then in my thirties, I I uh, I went on and between going to work every day in New York and the city life, once or twice a week, I would see a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and I trying to work through these uh, these dad this father issues. Okay. Uh, uh, I did that for a couple years, and then uh, at age at age fifty, uh, I had the God encounter, and that's when uh, God said, "Well, I know you tried to work on it uh, with a psychiatrist, and we did make some headway. Uh, we made enough headway that I was able to start forgiving him." Right. Uh, but I'll tell you uh, that. That time with God the Father was a complete uh, rewire. Uh, I came back. I came back from that completely changed. It was so. It was so far gone and changed that starting that next day, if I would go to the grocery store, anywhere in public, for two years at least, people that did not know me would just look up at me and say. Are you okay? Are you know, are, are you here? Uh, you look like you've been through something. And this went on 
so that was that was what really told me that something happened to me was was the having this multitude of strangers uh, just confront me for it's almost like Moses when he came down from the mountain uh, he carried like a glow about him uh, and and that's exactly uh, in my own small way what I experienced. But let me okay, but. Let me ask you, here you had a heart. What happened? You uh, Did somebody find you? They resuscitated you? How, how did that happen? Um, uh, I, uh, I, after God the Father, I was left out in the black tunnel that people describe. Right. Uh, and so once I was in the black tunnel, I was quite frightened, but, but I had faith that I'd be okay. And that's when uh, Christ, uh, he appeared at first in the shape of a pure white cross about the size of a football field. And uh, then he came off the cross and he came down and he just hugged me. And that hug felt so amazing, so uh, reassuring. And I said to him, a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. I kept saying that to to him, and uh, he was saying to me that I was going to go back, and I did not want that. I wanted, uh, he knew I wanted to stay there, is what I was thinking. And while I was uh, saying I want to stay there, my heart restarted, uh, and I could feel uh, the heart pounding out of the chest. Uh, and I, I looked up at my chest. It was like two, three inches high of pounding. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really amazing. And I never at once thought I was in danger because of where I had been and what had happened. So I just laid there looking at my heart, and my reaction was, gee, I didn't know the heart could pound like that. Uh, I'm just laying there thinking, I just saw God. And I'm like, think, oh, well, I better not tell anybody because I don't think anybody would ever believe this. And, yeah. Uh, I, I, I had, you know, and I can understand. It's like, it's really, it's almost like what you're describing is basically you were dead. Yeah, but you're all yeah. you're thinking about is I got to keep this to myself because people are going to look at me funny because nobody's going to believe me, you know. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. and I look up at the clock on, uh, at the TV. It was a quarter to one, so I had been dead uh, to the very minute, exactly thirty minutes. Uh, and it's interesting that I was able to see the clock from mm -hmm. above the, when I departed my body. So that was strategic. I think God he permitted me knowing exactly the time that I departed and also the time that I arrived. I was able to see both. So, so you, 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 I, you, you come out of this and, you, and, you, and it sounds like you realize I, I'm alive, but because I'm supposed to be alive. In other words, you, yes, you, exactly. And so did that inspire, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that that it wasn't afterwards the effects weren't a gradual thing. You came back changed from that encounter. Uh huh. Yeah, completely rewired. 
okay. completely. I mean, it, people people did not recognize me. Uh, my my mom was still alive. She had no no idea what had happened to me. I was completely different because I had been very angry uh, before that. Uh, you know, you know how parents can get nerves, and uh, sure. so she she would try to get me angered, and I would be like, whatever, you know, and I I would just she go was... on. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, if anybody knows, you know, yeah, if a parent will know their kids, it, even exactly, even what buttons to push. In other words, the same way, the oh, same yeah. way we could do to our parents, parents know how to do it to us. So yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, she was trying for oh, a couple years. Uh, she was trying to push the old button, and you know what? I was rewired, so I'd be like, uh, "Okay, well, uh, let's go for a walk now." <laughs> that totally was really and did you did you ever tell her what happened yeah i did and the the funniest comment she had about it was um she said you know what bugs me about this is she goes i go to uh, she was the type of lady uh catholic lady she go to church like for the morning morning mass they mm -hmm. they they affectionately call them the church ladies. Uh, <laughs> she was a church lady. Uh -huh. She'd go every morning, and these these little old ladies, they would all go to Mass, and then after Mass, they'd go out for coffee together. So she tells me, she goes, you know, I've been going to Mass every day since, like, the 1960s. And she says, God has never done this to me. Right. <laughs> <She goes>. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's like, how's that, how's that work? You know what? I'm yeah. gonna, it, it, and I'm going to segue real quick because, and I'm not saying this is the same thing, but it's almost like, you know, these uh, Marian apparitions that they appear to children that usually are, you know, even when they occur, they were like basically very poor and like at the Fatima and the visitation at Lourdes where there were doubts like why would the, the Virgin Mary appear, appear to these poor children <laughs> Yeah. versus so many other supposedly more religious figures and it's like yes. you know maybe maybe what we think of as important in reality isn't <laughs> that that's what i learned uh the same thing you're saying is is uh is uh god well the irony of being a book writer at age 19 was the fact that in high school they were so worried about me they put me in a private reading and English class mm -hmm. uh, sophomore and junior year. Okay. So here I am. I can't read or write. They think I'm stupid. <laughs> and right. at age, you know, and at age 19, God says, you're going to write books. Yes. Now, you know, that, that's what to make anybody laugh, you know. Right. Right. That sometimes... Um... There's a difference between can't and won't. <laughs> Sometimes. Yes. It's not a question of can't. It's a question of won't. Until yeah. that person is inspired or motivated to do what you know, whatever it is that maybe they've just been saying, I'm not going to do that. Well, and that's where I think a lot of times uh, God, uh, the soul of each person has different gifts at work that come with the soul when they're born mm -hmm. and when those 
those gifts, when they're acted upon, or, or talents, they're, uh, I, I believe those things are stronger than any school system or any set of teaching. Yes, we have to go through those things, but uh, what is... I. Now I see the back on my life is is what's sewing into the person uh, is much more dynamic and more strong uh, in their lifetime. Those will eventually shine through if the person acts on them. Okay. So here we are. You've had this experience. You say right off the bat, that's it. You come back a different person. Mainly, and and I'm that you said that that release of anger. Which, yeah. you know, I've come across people that that anger, it's almost like they train themselves to react in anger. In other words, show me how angry you are and I'll tell you how scared you are. And they yeah. basically adapt themselves that this is how they react. And uh, so here you're, you're letting go of that anger, which that must have been great weight lifted off your shoulders, I imagine, right? Yeah, it, it really was. In fact, I had a lot of time to think after surgery. I was off work for two to three weeks. And uh, I, during that time period, uh, before the near death was approaching me any day now, I began to think about my dad. He was dead. And the one thing that occurred to me was he was human. Uh, mm -hmm. I began, I get, maybe the surgery did that to me is, is getting cut open is okay my dad was just human and uh but that second thing i realized was well okay well he was just uh an even though he's my dad in a good way he was just uh an idiot like me he's just trying to sort through life right. uh like we all are and sure. so i just kind of very strange thinking that I ever had before, like, like almost humanizing him instead of seeing him as this, as this uh, dominant figure uh, that that brutally ruled my life or something, you know. And so when I saw him that way, I was reaching a really great. Well, he's just like me. So I forgive him. And then, bang, I have that encounter with God the Father. Right. And it sounds almost like this. sometimes people say, well, I forgive this person, whoever the person is, whether it's a parent, but anybody that's wronged you profoundly. But yeah. they really don't. They ha really haven't. They say they have, but they really haven't. Yeah. But it sounds in your case like you really, like you said, you, you thought it out. Um, yeah. And you really, truly did it um, yes. inside of you. Yeah, it was thought of, well, oh, man, this, this is amazing. Uh, he's not only my father, he's he's just a human, you know, and he's, he's just, like, struggling like I am. And, uh, you know, that's what, that was what's so profound about that. Uh, and, and seeing myself uh, in a more humble way, I guess, you know, uh, and, and then making room for him uh, to be in that in kind of that human experience too so that's where i reached it and then i think god the father uh wanted to play off of that uh and give me give me a dose of what it feels to be secure uh with the father okay so um, what what happened then i mean you're here you are it sounds like you're 
making peace with something that had troubled you a lot, you know, for your life. Um, and did you continue to have any of these dreams where you were seeing things or, or you know, witnessing yeah. events? See, that was on a t uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, that uh, experience. So after the near death, uh, on Wednesday night, I, I, it's almost like somebody woke me up. I sit up in bed, and my dad in the middle of the night is standing in front of me. And I just look at him, and I say, Dad, and he disappears he he goes okay so that was wednesday night and then now if he would have done that a week before i don't know how excited i would have been <laughs> you know <laughs> so a lot had happened in that week so then thursday night the same thing i i i pop up in the middle of the night i sit right up in bed and there he is he's standing there a second time so he doesn't say anything, but he's all dressed in black, black pants, black shirt, black hair. He doesn't look like he's in a good situation. So uh, at the time, uh, I had heard, uh, I think it was Wednesday night in my office that I heard a voice uh, the night after near death. It was a locution. So an audible voice I heard, and it said, go help the homeless. So uh, I had applied a block from my apartment building in L.A. to become uh, a volunteer uh, at the Weinberg Center for Homeless. So a week later, I'm there at the Weingart in an empty little cubicle for volunteers. And my boss, who manages my three-hour volunteer, uh, pokes her head uh, into my room, and she shouts, Jim, Jim. And then she leaves. And then she comes back like an hour later, and she looks up into the center of the room, not even at me, and she shouts, Jim, Jim. And that's it. And I'm a new person there, and I don't have any right to ask her why she's acting so strangely. You know, uh, I, I, was, I didn't know what to tell her because the whole thing was bizarre to me. And you're thinking, me. that's not my name. Yeah. <laughs> that's not me. I'm like, what is this? What, you know, plus you're in this huge 300-person homeless bed facility, and I'm like, this is all bizarre. And uh, so the third day that I'm there, she comes to my office like around 8, 9 in the morning. She says, I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, man, I'm in trouble already, and I've only been here a few days. So she says, uh, who's Jim? And I said, well, Jim is uh, in your family. I said, well, my brother is Jim, and my dad is Jim. She said, no, no, no. I saw an older man in your room twice yesterday. Uh, and here she sees, I don't know her. I've never met her in my life. She now has seen the guy that I just saw a, few, a week earlier in my bedroom, in my apartment. Oh. 
Oh. <laughs> and I said, you mean you saw my dad? She goes, yes. I said, well, why was he there? And she said, well, he was very curious. He was wondering why you were here and what you were doing here. I'm like, oh, mm. my God, this, this is amazing. So wow. I, when I, when she, when she kind of uh, collaborated what had happened a week earlier, and the fact that she has no relationship with me, I've never seen her in my life, and then basically all of this father stuff comes together with a third-party person that doesn't even know me or my family. Do you think that the fact that you had forgiven your dad actually allowed him to manifest easier or closer to you? Yeah. Uh, the fact that I had forgiven him, I believe, uh, released his soul uh, to move about, mm -hmm. uh, to, um, to explore, um, and, uh, and maybe to love in a way that, that, that when he had died, he was unable to do. Okay. Because he had uh, passed away how, how many years by then, by the time this happened? So that would have been, uh, uh, like, he would have been gone about two years. Okay. Uh, so, babe, then, do you think he was coming to you for help? Yes. Uh, I, uh, I hooked up a week or so after with a spiritual director. Uh, somebody... Uh, at the church near my office, because I went in there one day just to try to sort out what the heck was happening to me. And I ran into a, an elderly priest, and he said, I told him what happened. He goes, oh, we have a guy that knows all about that stuff. <laughs> and they set me up with this guy, like within two days, I'm, I'm in his office, uh, and, and he's now seeing me once a month, uh, to to walk me through what had happened to me and that's what he had said he goes you know you you really uh are there to help your dad right now uh so i began to pray for him uh and to send out good uh vibes and transition for him and then uh one night in my apartment i lived in a penthouse in downtown l.a at about at about six in the morning, instead of waking up like I normally do, I went out of body above the penthouse, and I could see the streets of L.A. below me. And then I descended uh, out of body into the earth, into the ground. Okay. And as I descended, I went through uh, segments of uh, brick walls. Uh, those stone uh, builder type uh, blocks and every time I descended through a new set of rooms and blocks I became more frightened that I would become stuck uh, down there but then Christ came next to me and he said don't worry that I'm with you and you will not get stuck so I ended up in deep 
in the earth in a private room about the size of a of a maybe a medium-sized bathroom and my dad was sitting at a chair at a small round table and it was dark and smoky or foggy and in the corner was a man and I looked at the man as to who he was and he said don't worry he goes I'm I'm taking good care of your dad. And you didn't recognize that man, though? No. Uh, the later I found out uh, through my spiritual director that that was probably his guardian angel. Uh, so I put my arm around him. Uh, his head was just down, and he looked really uh, dejected. But I put my arm around him. Um, and I think at that time, uh, like you said, I think I really officially released him mm-hmm. uh, with forgiveness, with some some love and compassion. Maybe something he had not received even from other people. Possibly. Uh, yeah, because even my mom at that time was mad at him. She, in my book, I tell the story. She came home one day and Holy Spirit just came upon her. And said, yes, this man has done everything that your children are telling you that he did. And when she came to that realization, man, she went crazy mad. She ripped his face off of all the photos. Uh, she, she did not want to even think of this guy. Let me ask you something. Did you ever know enough about his earlier life and by this I'm not justifying it you know where he um, had similar you know where he came from a family where basically this is where he learned it yes I I don't know uh, the details that I I, that's probably after surgery where I started to go in my head like oh my god probably went through the same stuff, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Right, that you start, uh, and, I, and you made a very good point, you started humanizing him. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh my God, I went through the same thing. He was a child just like me. Yeah. Uh, like, oh my God, I can't believe, it's just like the light bulbs came on, you know. Let me ask you, one, once you had that experience, what happened did with the relationships that you had as far as friends and everybody? I mean, family's family. Sometimes, you know, for better or worse, there they are. But did it affect your other relationships, like with friends or coworkers or anything like that? Well, it did. Uh, I got fired from my job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I hear, you know, here I am. I, I've got a good job as a writer in Hollywood, and uh, they're like, uh, all of a sudden, every day, I uh, I wanted to be over at that church by the office at, at the end, like 530. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all mad at me, and uh, they, ex- you know, they expect you to stay hours, hours, hours afterwards, you know. Uh, so finally, I guess uh, I had the near-death September. By November 15th, I was fired. Wow. And, you know, and, and then... Uh, close friends uh, didn't really want to have much to, to do with me because 
uh, I just wasn't the same person anymore. Uh, and they just found that I wasn't, I had kind of like a neurotic Woody Allen uh, way about me that I guess in some respects before the near death was kind of funny and people liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after the near death, I had this, <laughs> I lost that edge. I was kind of just calm. And, I was going to say, you mellowed out. <laughs> it was like, what's uh, wrong yeah. with you? You're so mellow. <laughs> it was like, it's like, well, where's the guy that, you yeah. know, we, we'd always have fun with, you know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I could not drum it up. So at the Christmas party, um, I was invited to this huge Christmas party in December. Uh, they evidently, some of my friends had a talk and they were going to confront me. So they confront me at this Christmas party at a high rise in, uh, on sunset, uh, over on the West side of LA. So I'm in this really nice party and two of the guys come up to me with their cocktails and the one, uh, girl from work, one of the ladies, and they're like, we want to know what your story is. <laughs> uh, they're like, what's so, going on? Yeah. Yeah. So I had to spill exactly everything that had happened since September. Oh, you uh, told them. I, yeah. Okay. They had a slight idea, but I had to like really go through the whole, by then I had a lot of details. I had the story of the lady in downtown LA uh, the lady comes in and shouts, Jim, Jim. So I went through the whole thing with them that night. And and uh, they look at me like, you're crazy. <laughs> Mellow, but crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, do they, do, let me ask, did they believe you? You know, and uh, I think they did. Uh, uh, I, I think, but... Uh, as I told, uh, as I told Father Frank, uh, it, it, it it's almost like a lonely right after near death, or say like people, maybe someone that was in nine eleven or or any kind of experience that only you can uh, vouch for. Uh, it's probably anything of that magnitude is hard for others uh, to connect with. You know and what? So that I, was... I imagine part of them have got to be saying, that's so way out there. It's got to be true. You know, like saying, if man, if he was going to tell us a story, it, that that I'm sure that must have thrown him for a loop. Yes. Yeah, I was like, because uh, they didn't, they did not know why I had so drastically uh, changed. Uh, and, and even that night at the Christmas party, I was just very chill. I was very mellow. I'm just like, oh, this is cool. I'm having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't talk much. I'm I'm like just totally at peace, you know. Okay. Exactly. And and I'm sure that, see, I guess for a lot of people, it's it's weird to see somebody change so drastically. Yeah. From one moment to the next. Well, Um, it's like, it's like that guy Howard Storm. He was an atheist uh, in the 1980s, and then he and his wife are on vacation in Paris. He has he has uh, 
appendicitis. He dies in a hospital at midnight. Uh, he realizes he's at the gates of hell, and he starts uh, the Star Spangled Banner, and he, he doesn't know any prayers. He's atheist, and the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and that's what gets him out of hell. God him up. And uh, when he came back, he uh, was like me. He was completely rewired, uh, and his wife divorced him. You know what? I, it's um because I think that the the change is so profound that it's like this is yeah. not the person I was with. And can you imagine you're married to an yeah. atheist, and now all of a sudden he's everything but. Yeah, this guy he comes back and. And all of a sudden, he's not an atheist anymore. Yeah. Uh, and she said, uh, she she actually goes on record. Uh, he has a book out too. Uh, uh, his name's Howard, not Howard Stern, the show guy. Mm -hmm. It's Howard Storm, and he has a book out about how after a few years, she was just very honest. She goes, you know, Howard, you're not the guy I married. I, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. People get. Yeah, and. and um... It's really funny because not even though it's the same thing, but even people that um, that are have some type of addiction, and once they they go sober, sometimes their significant relationships fall apart, including a marriage, because that person, even though you would think, well, wouldn't they be happy that this person is now being sober? Yes, they can't grapple with that new person that they're with. So right. a lot of times, significant relationships fall apart. Well, I, I noticed that because uh, my mom, being the only one alive, uh, she she distanced herself at first because she 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 just she couldn't push my buttons anymore mm -hmm. and uh, didn't know where to go with this with this relationship. Then my sister called me. My older sister called me about a year year and a half ago. She was pretty distant. But all of a sudden, she called me because uh, now it's been over 10 years, and I'm permanently like this new someone that they that her and my mom did not like, you know. Uh, so now she calls me, and she she tells me uh, that uh, she was kind of like agnostic, uh, atheist, uh, and now she turns uh, to God all because. Uh, I uh, I not only changed, but I remained that way for 15 years. Right, you know? right, exactly. So it so wasn't a fly-by-night, like, you uh -huh. know, I'm going to, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what happens. People are looking like, oh, this is an act, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you could act all this kind of stuff out. It's, right, it's, like a, it's a they, phase. Yeah, exactly. But it's you know, like, well, who can even try to pull this kind of stuff off? It's impossible, you know. But but still, you know, they're they're skeptical. And but I'll tell you, she finally called me, uh, and then she wanted to know like what prayers I was praying, and and you know, kind of like what's the magic? How do you make this happen? You know <laughs> what it uh, is that probably she senses the peace about you. In other words, like you said, the yeah. anger is gone. So it's like, I want that peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I know. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Cause she has a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, one of the things 
that started in high school was uh, being able to see the future. Uh, I, I saw a good half dozen air crashes uh, mm-hmm. during those years. And they all happened. I just didn't know the dates of them. Right. Uh, but if we if we ever talk again, uh, I could share. I have had so many visions of the future of, of really what's going to happen over the next year or two. Uh, and I'm to the point now, Marlene, where mm-hmm. where I am so confident in the visions because I was groomed uh, from young age. Right. And that's exactly like what you said before you were like, is this, is this me and my great imagination <laughs> or. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and See, now, now you, you, you have your own, how can I tell you you're, you, you become your own skeptic in a way. Yes. Uh-huh. I was, I was for many years and uh, now I've seen uh, all of these 40, 50 years come to pass. Mm-hmm. So now what I know to be a year from now and two years from now, I am 100% confident. But when I share it with friends or, or I share with people there, they think. I just dropped a bottle on my dogs because they're oh, doing the worry. same thing. That's the same thing. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, 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 um, I'm a hundred percent confident that what I know is going to happen over the next year or two was shown in, in visions and dreams, but, uh, people on the outside, when I share it with them, even my close friends, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, oh, well, they just kind of like humor me, you know, uh, like, oh, okay, we'll wait and see. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you this stuff is going to happen. You're, you gotta be ready for this, you know? Well, you, let's face it. I think that the last, if you want to share them, by all means do it. Because I want to say that I think it's a human condition that our, everybody always wonders well, what's going to happen. But I want to say in the last 18 months, a lot of people think of that more often than ever before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because things have changed so drastically and very quickly, much more than people yeah. ever thought. So whereas perhaps people were saying, yeah, you know, they kind of thought it, but they were so caught up with their daily, you know, multitasking that they weren't really paying attention to it. Um, yes. And now everybody's like, what is going to happen? Like, yeah, everybody's, on, uh, you know, unless you're a child or very elderly or living under a rock, uh, everybody's paying attention to that. I would hope so, you know, mm-hmm. because... I tell people, hey, you're trying to humor me and and maybe think that I'm crazy, but please just read the headlines and yes. and I don't even say say because the headlines will will clue you as to what's going on. You know? Right, uh, and, and um, I want to say, you know, um, part of it uh, because it's because we we've been so distracted because there is so many distractions. How can I say that, you know, between, you know, your phones and computers and the Internet and TV and binging on a show and working and children that we come, we've become very distracted and things years pass us by. I tell everybody, I remember when I was a kid, you would say a year and it'd be like, oh, my God, that's that's so long. (laughs) A year. Nowadays, a year slips by in the blink of an eye. And this is not because I'm older, but it just does. All of a sudden, it's like. What do you mean it's 
Now, I tell everybody, I remember when 2001 was rolling around. I mean, 2000, you know, the Y2K thing. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, computers, you know, are going to collapse because they don't know how to handle the new 2000. And they made a bunch of movies in Hollywood. And yeah. And that was it. Nothing happened. <laughs> but back then, I remember that uh, that was one of the few times that everybody was like really worried. Like, what do you mean? And then, you know, of course, technology it just took off in leaps and bounds. And here we are 20 years later. And um, yeah. So if you want to share any of your visions, by all means, please do so. Yeah. Uh, you want to share some now or do you want yeah, to? Yeah, do it. That? I mean, give us a little bit and I'll bring you back and we'll do a part two. I have no problem with that. But considering yeah. what's going on, that everybody's yeah. just a big giant question mark. There's uh, some of the... Uh, uh, some of the prophecies or what we would say uh, visions that began to clue uh, what was coming forward first occurred in 1998. Uh, I was still in Miami in those years. And in my apartment, for those that know Miami, the Hamilton on the Bay, I was living in that building at 36 feet. And one night, in the middle of the night, uh, Christ comes to me out of nowhere. This is like totally unexpected. And he says, I am going to return within two generations. Those, those were his exact words. Okay. And in 1998, uh, I wake up and I'm thinking, what just happened to me? This is like incredible. And why is he telling me this? But then, of course, I had the history of the book and the, my brother. So I'm not think I'm thinking, well, this is not that strange. I'll, I'll, I'll live with the fact that he did this and told me. Uh, so that was even before 9-11. Uh, but mm -hmm. I took what he said to heart. But then he began to build on it uh, through the near-death experience in 2005. So in 1998, I get the first message that this is a, is a closing period of our lives, uh, plural, everyone. So then um, in the year 2012, going into the winter-spring of 2013, a number of prop, prophecy visions. The first one was, he, the, he came to me one night and said, when this new Pope gets elected, he said, I will return within his generation. So that was the time when Benedict had retired. Right. And here I am, I'm sitting in limbo, like in January 2013, and the Lord's, he's saying, guess what, uh, when they elect the new guy, I'm, that's the generation I'm going to return in. So now he narrows it down uh, from what I heard in 1998, and I get, a, it's almost like he's turning up the heat, and I get a greater sense of urgency from him. Mm -hmm. Then about 
I would say two or three weeks before the election of Francis, uh, he came again in the night and he said, I, when this Pope is elected, I will come within his time. And then I told him, I said, Lord, I said, because I didn't know who, who it was going to be anyways. I said, but Lord, I said, these popes live forever. <laughs> That's what I told him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I had the nerve to say that. And I, I'm like, I'm like, you're telling me he, you're going to come in this guy's lifetime. I'm like, a hundred years. It could be a now. long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he used the word no to me. He goes, no. He goes, it'll be within 10 years, just like that. So are we talking 2023? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And I've had to live with this Martin all these years, which for God is nothing, but for a human, mm-hmm. this is a lot. I had to live with this. Uh, and so uh, I say to him, okay, I understand. So uh, in the following years, uh, I began to share with uh, anyone that would listen to me. Uh, I even started that blog, uh, Sons Shall Prophesy, because I had to get the word out. And people thought that I was crazy, but I would always say uh, about 2023. Well, about a year ago, he came to me in the night and he said to me, He goes, I just have an issue (laughs) that I want to clear up. He goes, I never told you 2023. I told you within those 10 years. So he said, it could be fall of 2022. It could be uh, Christmas 2022. And then he said at the very latest, it could be uh, spring of 2023. So we're talking a year away, more or less. Yeah. Yes. And what do you think? What do you think? How can I say? It? What's the sense that you get about why he's telling you this? Uh, I, well, I, I look. Of course, I look back from the high school days, and that, of course. It's obvious that I was being groomed uh, to become more responsible with larger visions because mm-hmm. uh, he knew that eventually I was going to have to drop the big one, you know. Right. So he spent all this time, especially that little mix-up on the book, mm-hmm. uh, he groomed that, Marlene, because he wanted me to see that... Uh, uh, don't try to outguess him, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. he, he, he's in charge. Right, right, exactly. Like, you, you kind of, like, were trying to, like, tell him you were wrong, and he's like, not really. Like, yeah, because he sees around the curve. Yes, uh-huh. So, so I think that uh, based on what happened, this was about a month or two ago, uh mm-hmm. I had an hour and a half with with my new spiritual director, uh, 
I've been with my new one now for about five years or more. And I said that uh, the Lord came one day during the day while I was studying, and he told me that just for our information, that his coming is actually in two, it's in two drops, two, two ways. The first is that about a year from now is what the Protestant uh, would call the rapture. So right. he, he, he did not use that word, though, with me. He called it private. He said, I'm going to privately return uh, for a private encounter about a year from now. Okay. So, so that I think he wants uh, people to realize that that private encounter is, he told me, is only going to be about 50% of uh, people that believe in God. Okay. So 50% will be ready and 50% will not be ready for that private encounter. Okay. All right. So the more people that know, uh, and like you said, that are not obsessed and overly focused with their, uh, you know, their lives and the world and living in the world, uh, people that are more balanced, over the next year, they're they're trying to include a higher power and a higher goal in life. Uh, he isolates that that's only going to be about fifty percent of the people. Yeah, I, he, I, I could see that. I, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, some people have said that they thought it would be less, but I said that I have documentation uh, because not only did he tell me that, but he said the ten virgins parable, five were ready and five were not. Uh, so in that parable, he already identified the 50% factor. Um, but also, he also told the story about the people in the field. He said one will be plowing and one will be taken. And then he also said two will be in the house, one will be taken one will be left so he reiterated the 50 percent factor in other parables okay and that's the private encounter but a lot of people including myself have confused and thought that the private encounter and the public are all one okay. uh, and so there's a lot of theologians that still argue that it's all one event but the Lord said, no, it's not. It's two events. Right. And, and um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people, I want to say if there's any positive effects of like the last 18 months is that people, besides wondering what's going to happen, have started to become a little bit more spiritual. If they weren't already, I'm saying, because... Yeah. I, I hate to say it, but uncertainty does that to human beings. Yeah. Um, where, and I'm by this, I don't mean religious per se, but the, the that spiritual part of their lives that before they kind of like put on the back burner, 
Yeah. And they didn't pay attention to that. I think personally, I think your soul needs it. They've, they've mm -hmm. brought it out and they've examined and they realize, you know, I, 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 I need I need comfort from this part of myself because you know all these other things that are going on uh, if not in other words this was the the part of my life that is going to give me some type of peace amongst yeah. all this uncertainty yes and hopefully um, do you think that what he's saying is that we're talking about something drastic happening? among humanity or just uh, what's the word I'm looking for, or just from, a question of discernment for some and not for others. From what I, I've been hearing through, uh, I, I've recorded them, them all uh, over since the publication of proof of the afterlife. Two. I, I always knew after that I would never have time to do book three because he would have returned. Mm -hmm. So, in answer to those ones that came after the publication, I believe that he has been saying that you that people should get ready over this next year uh, mm -hmm. for other events. There's right. going to be things this year that will through like your uh, thoughts about inspiring people to uh, to seek out uh, a higher uh, relationship in, of, with God, those are going to happen this next year. Uh, just a month ago, he told me in the nighttime uh, a locution that there was going to be in this winter-spring period, uh, there's going to be uh, a lock down uh and he said when this lockdown comes he said i'm only suggesting that you be extra cautious because not only is there the imminent danger but there will be other dangers if you go out and he was trying to say that once the lockdown is is official if we go out uh people are going to behave in dangerous ways that i believe uh, that i believe yeah yes. mm -hmm. he said you're going to put yourself at risk uh because people are going to become uh, greedy they're going to become violent and so the lockdown he said is not the uh, the only danger he, he said he, the exact words that he gave were that there will be additional dangers. But those that go through this will, uh, some people will use it for good and get mm -hmm. themselves ready for the private uh, encounter. You know, I was born and raised in Miami. And I went through several hurricanes, including Andrew, which was really, you know, bad back in 92. And I... And, and I've told my audience before, this is a small measure compared to, you know, when we're talking here, a much larger scale. But I know what happens when you described where looting takes place, where um, from one moment to the next, what was safe becomes unsafe. I, I've seen, yeah. I've lived that. 
firsthand. And that was on a much more tiny scale, you know. Um, but, you know, I remember uh, down in the homestead or south-south part of Dade County, which is the one that Andrew plowed through, where yes. you, if you had something left of your house, uh, people were basically uh, living with some type of firearm, afraid that what little was left was going to get looted because there was looting taking place. Yes. This was happening. Yeah. And of course, um, and I saw it myself. I saw, I saw stores being ransacked. <laughs> I saw that yeah. firsthand where the day I had, the day before I had been shopping the next day I saw it being ransacked because, and, and, and what you're describing is things fall apart in that sense very, very quickly, very quickly. And that's exactly over this uh, before the private return of the rapture. That's exactly what he said is coming uh, forward for us uh, in 2022, leading leading up to that private coming. Uh, he also said that he uh, one night he told me that he plans to tell the children uh, prior to that private coming. So. If children, uh, if they say, if the children of a household start talking to their parents, mm -hmm. saying, "You know, uh, I had this dream, or I heard that something uh, Jesus said that he's coming." Well, uh, he told me that he's going to do that for the kids, uh, and I think he wants uh, the children to not go through the seven years of tribulation because after the private encounter, uh, the seven years, the whole world is going to fall apart uh, starting in sometime in 2023 until his public return in 2030. Right, exactly. And, and yeah. I hate to say it, there's a lot of people that wonder if a lot of the recent events are basically the beginning of this phase yes. of, you know, people that thought, well, this is just biblical, whatever, you know, anything, but not, that's not, none of that is going to really happen. Yes. But, well, this is the problem, you know, you uh, kind of like uh, in the day of Jonah and in the day of Noah, you have these isolated people that have information about the future mm -hmm. but try to try to get people to trust you it's very difficult you sure. know sure and let's face it's it hard. it's 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 an uncomfortable possibility to face even though we've a lot of people have been in the last uh, few months i've had a reality you know you know that wake up hello reality check but still it's yeah. an uncomfortable thing to be recognizing that this is a distinct possibility of that this is going to happen because let's face it, we are all creatures of habit and, um, yeah. we're, we're, you know, we're used to first world problems is like, I, Oh, I ran out of coffee. Remember my coffee maker. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. a first world problem. And, yeah. uh, we don't want to think of something beyond that, which obviously yeah. this would be. Well, I have a dear cousin, uh, uh, she's when I tell her about these things, you know, she's like she's got a son now in his. Uh, he was a, he was a CB uh, in the Navy, and mm -hmm. now he's 
uh, their grandchild. And she says, you know, kind of like, don't tell me about this stuff because she says, I want to see my son and his family grow up and I want to see my grandchild grow up. And uh, she, it's almost like she feels like that this might rob rob her of of her day-to-day plans for her life, you know. Yeah, we, and all, I, all, we all love continuity. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this trust me, this is going to be so much greater and so much better, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. than what you could envision for yourself. Uh, but it's hard to uh, I- explain that uh, to people. And so I guess that's part of that continuity is that is that when they hear it, uh, they want to d- dismiss it. I, I have pastors and leaders, when they hear this from me, they uh, they just use their power and authority like, you know, he's a wacko, nobody listened to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And they try to dismiss the whole thing because they just want that continuity of the collection plate to sure. take in the money, pay the bills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. Their focus is on something else and your narrative doesn't fit in. No. You wouldn't be the first one that's been like, and you're like, hey, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm always saying, I'm telling people, you know, I, I've, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've gone through three spiritual directors uh, since 2005. And and they've all been champs. I mean, they they've all really, like, been, like, yeah, you're. There's something real here. Yeah, I, I've been very fortunate because a lot of people end up with spiritual directors that just uh, can be very mean, and they mm-hmm. can be like, uh, uh, like condemning and. Sure. But I've never had that uh, from these three guys. They've all been, uh, yeah, you're, you are going through something very, uh, apparently very genuine. Of course, of course. And people don't realize that there's there, pe- mean people can infiltrate even religious uh, organizations that, that, you know, that, the, that you're supposed to be all the opposite. And people f- try to figure yeah. out how did, this, how did this person get into here, you know, but it does happen. It does. Hey, I got called into the archdiocese, oh, I guess a few months after my near death because I was telling all kinds of people about it, you know. So they they called me into downtown, and I meet with the assistant uh, to the cardinal. And I thought that they were calling in, you know, just to hear more about, you know, what, what God the Father is like, his personality, what, what the other side, but... Uh, but actually, the guy slams this on his desk, and he says, uh, "Don't you ever talk about this to anyone again." Uh, that was that was that meeting, you know. And you must have been like, well, "Why not?" I mean, I, I mean, considering you're yeah. expecting a different response. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I, I was like, I was like a sheep led to slaughter. I, I had no idea that that's what could happen you know i was just really uh very innocent thinking oh this is going to be a good meeting they just want to know about the near-death experience 
you know what? I hate to say it, but sometimes it's a power grab. It's like, wait a minute. You're not a priest. You're not, you haven't taken holy orders back then. We're, right. the, we're the conduit to God. What are you talking about that you spoke to him and you're telling everybody? You know, <laughs> uh, probably yeah. that, 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 that's when you take power away from somebody. That's how they react. Yeah, because uh, you're right. Because they think, well, this later I figured out was, well, okay, if this person um, talks about this, then they may have people uh, listening to them. Exactly. And then if people listen to them, what if he one day says, well, Cardinal so-and-so is not, is not a good Cardinal. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll all a person would have to say is one little thing like that. And if they already trust what he's saying uh, from the other side, mm -hmm. uh, then he could cause uh, complete havoc in the whole diocese. Of course. Of course. Plus, I, I didn't know this, you know. <laughs> no, you're like thinking, I'm just telling my story. And um, yeah. yeah, but you know what? And I hate to say it but without, without knowing the particulars of the people we're talking about, but people that are power hungry are always vigilant for any challenges to their power from the very beginning. In other words, they don't let it develop into a problem. They nip it at the bud, like what they were trying to do with you when they brought you in yeah. and told you, be quiet and don't talk about that again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's clip his wings. No, he can't talk about that because like you said, who knows where this could lead to. Yeah, I, have, I didn't know that this is... You know, and then pretty much anywhere I went, uh, that's the way. And then even at my work and everything, uh, I got fired. Um, it basically set it set off a, a chain of events where bosses and uh, diocese. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm all the way at the top, uh, shaking doors, and I don't even know why it's happening. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but. At least later, I figured out that that was documentation that what I experienced was real. Right. So did, uh, let me ask you, did um, because I want to say, and I know it's a religious organization, but it's almost like it's almost like politics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and it sounds like you weren't you weren't expecting th that approach. Um, no, not at all. No, you were just talking about, hey, I had this experience. Yeah. Uh, and then I, of course, I went to uh, St. John's Seminary in the mm -hmm. diocese. And that's when uh, uh, I get called into the, the president's office because uh, they had a board meeting of six officials there. And they said, uh, we don't want you talking about your homeless uh people we don't we just want you to go to school uh and finish your uh seminary training because i was getting ready to take my vows and all that but why and couldn't then, you speak about your homeless work why of, of all yeah, things yeah what well, obviously now i'm thinking that, you know it threatened them uh it threatened their perception of religion uh because religion is supposed to to them is supposed to be these uh, these rituals uh, mm -hmm. kneel down, stand up uh, 
say these prayers. That's what makes a person religious. But now you got this guy in the seminary showing that maybe you become religious uh, by helping the poor. Uh, and that now threatens them. And then the fact that I had the near death. So they said, and we don't want you talking about your near death experience. In other words, so, they told you, shut up and just be uh -huh. quiet. And don't talk about any of that. That's wow. right. They said, we want you to go to your room and stay there and just do, yeah, and do your work, you know. Uh, and uh, so then they thought I was going to uh, cause all kinds of problems, but uh, I didn't say a word in that meeting. And actually, I started to levitate uh, during that meeting. So... Uh, here you got six people with all this hate and anger. I'm sitting there with uh, this supernatural volume going through my veins. And all of a sudden, I start to uh, go up from my seat. And I was embarrassed by it, Marlene. I, I was like, Oh my God, I don't want... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but I can just imagine what you must have been thinking. You must have been like, what is going on? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm thinking, I don't want to embarrass these people because they've got to know that what they're doing is very evil. Uh, so I grabbed onto the table with my hands and I kept myself down. And I did not want them... Uh, I was trying to protect them. That was my main thought. Uh, I didn't want them uh, to, to have to go through this kind of embarrassment of their evil thoughts. So, so what did you uh, do after you got out of that meeting? Did you do what they told so you? So after that meeting, um, I wrote all six people a note, and uh, I said, uh, and I put it in their inboxes. I, I, I said, you know, I just have to thank you for such a wonderful meeting uh, today. Uh, I said, you know, if you would have brought me in there and and thanked me for serving 80,000 homeless people, uh, I would have been embarrassed. You would have embarrassed me. And, and I really feel like I don't deserve that kind of, uh, of acknowledgement. And uh, I said, the fact that you... Uh, went the opposite road in that meeting, uh, made it a much better experience for me. <laughs> and, Boy, I bet they didn't expect that type of note. No. Uh -uh. And then that got them more mad, which is what I heard through the grapevine. Yeah. So whatever note I would have done uh, would have gotten them mad. Say, you know, if I would have really, what most people would have done which just said how dare you talk to me like that mm -hmm. uh i went the other road and they got mad at that too oh still and um you know what it's 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 really funny what happens when people can't push your buttons they don't have control because when somebody can push your buttons that means they can control you and when they can't exactly. they get mad that's, that's, yeah that's how it translates um <laughs> My spiritual director was uh, was in the room that day with me, and after the meeting, uh, he, uh, out in the hall by ourselves, he puts his arm around me. He goes, you know what? He goes, we've never had anyone in seminary 
ever handle this the way you did? <laughs> and I said, well, I said it was, uh, I had supernatural help. Uh, and see, the Marlene, the week before that meeting, I did not know that meeting was coming uh, a week before. But a week before I recorded in my journal, uh, I was sitting up around 3, 4 in the morning in my dorm. And we have those real tall uh, Mediterranean windows in each of the dorm rooms, uh, double windows. The Lord appeared uh, in those windows. He opened the window. He walked to my, de- to my bed. He picked me up and he asked, can I take you? And then all of a sudden I went into like a, um, a dream state. And uh, of course I said yes. And I do remember going out those double windows with him. And uh, he brought me back after I don't know how long. And then he neatly tucked me back into bed. And so I had that uh, burned into my soul the week before that meeting. So in that meeting, I was thinking, you know what? Uh, There isn't really anything you guys could say to me that's going, that would ever surpass what just happened to me a week ago. Right. Exactly. And And I understand it's like by comparison, one thing to the other is like okay. So you're yeah. you're you're upset with me. Oh, oh well. <laughs> oh well, you know. Uh, you that's know. A, that's what ends up <laughs> happening sometimes when people, you know, they that they're used to controlling others with their anger or with their, you know, I'm um, I'm disapproving of what you're doing, and people are like, oh no. So it sounds yeah. like you were like, well, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, what am I gonna do? You just, you know. You could say it's it's me, but in reality, it's you and what's going on with whatever your agenda is. And it sounds like you yeah. recognize that. I, I did. Well, and I got real connected uh, with St. Teresa of Avila. I read mm-hmm. a few of her works, but one of them, she had a lot of these, what she called ecstasy experiences where Christ uh, came and he lifted her and took her. And so I I was told to read her, and I did. And uh, it was really through her um, explanation of these experiences that she called uh, the term consolation. Uh, So from the other side, uh, they will send consolation to the person in advance of their... uh, encounter with evil uh and so she she kind of enlightened that uh well when these things happen these are uh these are consolations to kind of prepare the person right and you recognize it as such yeah Uh so uh, so, well let me tell you something it's so now you you're working with um with a homeless in la is that where you're at right now yes Mm-hmm. We have in the uh, in the region we have eighty thousand uh, homeless on uh, on the parks and streets. Yes. So, and that I imagine you must be very busy. Yeah. 
we're in our 20th year now. Uh, and uh, in 2001, uh, an elderly man who was in prison ministry started uh, going under the bridges. Mm-hmm. Very, he, His idea was to go to very uh, remote, uh, underserved homeless. And so in 2004, when I moved to L.A., I happened to meet him one day. I knew about him. Okay. I helped him. And then all of a sudden, I had the near death, and he's like, "Oh, good, you take over." <laughs> so, okay. so Jack disappears. He's like almost eighty by that time, okay. and and then I took over, and then we formalized and we called it serve. Well, my spiritual director said he said call it servants of the Father, mercy, okay. uh, because of that encounter with the Father. Wow. What's the um for my po- I'm going to put a link in the credits of the show but what for my podcast listeners what's the website that they can go to to find out about the work you're doing or about yourself Yeah the uh the servants of the father.org uh at, okay. at at that website it's with an uh s plural servants mm-hmm. of the father uh we have a little section in there help for the homeless if people okay want to give a donation sure. um, but uh, the book itself is uh, proof of the afterlife.com okay. and there's a lot of testimonies uh, there's even testimonies from kids uh, fourth fifth sixth seventh graders that read the book mm-hmm. and it's that kind of book it really relates to all all because it's it's really about mom and dad, brother, sister. It's really about the basics. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It has been such a pleasure to speak to you, Brother Gary. Um, I would love to have you back on so you could talk more about, you know, your experiences, whether yeah. it's your visions, your work with the homeless, all of that. I would love to bring you back, and I'll be contact you probably after the first of the year. And I hate to say it because... We're yeah. almost what forty-five days out from twenty twenty-two. Wow! See what I mean about yeah. time flies, even when you're not having fun. Um, I'm telling you. In... <laughs> so, and um, it has been great to speak to you. And again, I'm going to include a a direct link in the credits of the show to your website. And my podcast listeners already heard that it is. And uh, you said you're yeah. not going to write a book number three, and I understand why no. you say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing now is to do a show like yours, mm-hmm. and I have so many uh, visions and locutions that all started to occur uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, that uh, there's a lot to share with folks. Sure. Do you think things are going to pick up steam after the first of the year? Yes, I I thoroughly expect that the Lord uh, said that a lockdown is coming. Something is going to uh, happen soon, um, and then uh, basically that will bring us uh, to the uh, to the rapture of the church uh, sometime in the fall, uh, and maybe the winter. And then after that, uh, people that are here should be prepared for. Uh, seven, seven very, very terrible years. Oh, it is what it is. 
Yeah. Ah, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. I wish you were wrong, but I have a feeling that you might not be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, oh, I am. I wish. I'm I a wimp. I'm a wimp. I admit it. And I'm like most humans that we're we're be, we're we're wimps of uh of of the creature comforts. And, and yes. unfortunately, it's it's like I said before. Sometimes that distracts us from our spiritual life, and to be yeah. more open to that part of our humanity which we want right. to think that we're just strictly our physical bodies and we're not, we really aren't. Well, all it takes to be included in that private uh, event within the year or so is just people have to humble themselves and just, uh, just tell God, you know, uh, I don't know at all. Uh, I would be on your side because you know it all. And, uh, and to really uh, enter that realm of humility. Mm -hmm. uh, but nowadays, you get people uh, firing off at each other on the internet, like you don't think no. USB. Everybody acts like they know it all, you know. Right, exactly. Everybody's an expert. How's that? They are, yeah, yeah. It's like crazy. Everybody's an expert. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Unfortunately, that's the truth. Again, thank you so much, and uh, good luck on all your projects and all your work. Yeah, same with you, and, and a big hug, and God bless you for all you're doing. Likewise. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, guys. Yeah. See? I love speaking to him because this is his story. If you listen to it, goes back to his his high school days where he starts having these visions and, you know, because I have heard of people that have had near death experiences that they come back changed exactly like what he described. They come back, whatever they saw, uh, they exactly like what he said, people that are spiritual become more spiritual kinder more forgiving people that were atheists or agnostics come back with a profound belief in god the you know if you want to call it god or the divine whatever but in other words they do a complete about face in their spiritual lives because of this and what he described where one of the things that he experienced was that 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 uh, that anger was gone and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are listening to me that know of somebody or more than one person who basically is angry all the time. They're either angry or simmering, you know, simmering or, but it doesn't take much to put them over the edge. And, you know, you, you know, you could, you could be nice and say, oh, that person's a grouch or they're cranky or whatever, but they always seem to be on some scale, on some point of the anger scale. All right. And it's almost like they've acclimated their, their themselves to being that way. You know, whether they identify with it, whether they get some type of release in their brain that makes them feel better when they get angry. And he describes where after this experience, that anger is gone. And I'm thinking to myself, that must be such a huge weight. Is being angry, I don't know about you, but when... I get angry, like really angry, like all human beings. When I'm off of it, I'm like, oh, you know, it's a, it's like I don't like it. I mean, when you're angry, you're angry because in that moment. But then it's like, I don't like that. I don't like that experience. 
and um, but that absence of the anger, I think definitely, without knowing for sure. Okay, trouble. Stop that. You guys have behaved very badly today. All right, it must. I, I and I apologize for those people that part of the the this thing that sounds like out of three ring circus going on. I'm telling you, um, but anyway. Where I think that, that that act of true forgiveness in himself or that beginning of that understanding towards his dad is what all of a sudden he went from, from in other words, being able to see his dad uh, through whatever maybe his dad had to go through to, to reach some type of even self-forgiveness. Because believe it or not, I think um, maybe in the process that we go through after death, it's not only the forgiveness of others that we've hurt, but sometimes it's even self-forgiveness, even if you think that person is not sorry while they're doing it. You see what I mean? So I, I, I really do think that him being able to kind of like humanize his dad is what allowed him to see him again and to actually start thinking, uh, how did my dad be come to behave the way he did? And that was, uh, I think that's a very profound thing let's face it all of us have people in our lives some more than others some some of the 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 things done against us are more egregious than others absolutely where like i said i wasn't kidding there's a lot of people that you know because you hear about the, the oh you need to forgive and all that some people say oh yeah forgive them but not really and i think that if as long as you say it but don't really do have that experience of forgiveness you could say it till you're blue in the face. And by the way, my understanding is that when you forgive somebody, some people could do it right away. I think it's for other people. It's, you know, when you're taking something apart that if you could get your finger in and you could like, it's almost like once you leave that little opening for forgiveness to start, where in his case, let's like say you humanize the person or maybe you, you realize that what drives them. In other words, it takes, it's a process that once it starts and before you know it, you arrive at what is truly for, forgiven, forgiveness for that person. Might not be acceptance. It might not be that you, how can I say, uh, approve, but that you understand it and you forgive it really on a soul level, not just saying, oh yeah, I, I, I forgive that person and inside it's anything but that. Yeah. Um, Almost, I want to say what he said, where when you think of this person or what happened, that that quick anger is gone. Doesn't mean that you that this if, if it was something that was wrong makes it right, but that quick outburst of anger of self defense is gone because you start seeing that person a different way. You know, there's a forgiveness. It's that's what forgiveness is, and basically. You at that point you you've escaped the shadow of things that happened to you, right? Because as long as you live in that state of unforgiveness, you are being, depending on what it was, traumatized, victimized by what happened. Even if that's not your reality now anymore, you're still living in the shadow of those events and maybe what this person did uh, to you or lack of. Because sometimes it's not what's done to you; it's the person. And he made mention of that he was mad at his mom for his mom being complicit in whatever happened. So whatever the case might be, um, once you start letting that forgiveness seep in, 
it's almost like all of a sudden you're you don't live in the shadow of that anymore it doesn't it doesn't overshadow your actions your thoughts your reactions um and for him it for some people there's a lot of people by the way that arrive at that without the near-death experience by all means you don't need a, an nde to get there a lot of people do it on their own they reason it out you know they become adults or they just they, they come to this point that they say you know this being this anger is wearing me out i'm unhappy and you know what time travel is not possible i can't go back and redo this episodes of my life and i'm spent and i don't want to do this anymore and then little by little they start letting go of it uh but in his case he had the near-death experience and uh it's obvious that of all the things that that changed in him the most noticeable it sounds like was this this lack of anger and he the way he was that even his friends are saying like what's wrong with you what's you know not not what's well to them it what's wrong with you because you're different you know you've really changed like and it had and it kept going it wasn't like oh a couple of days i felt sick you feel bad odds oh, you're 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 you know you're having a moment here no this was continuous for months even this sounds like his friends were gonna have like an intervention like what's wrong with you we you know we know something's going on um and uh but yeah a lot of you don't need an nde to get there uh and uh like things things of that nature uh and it sounds like where uh he what direction he took his life in and now he's serving the homeless in la which i imagine i was not kidding because let's face it i'm sure everybody's hey here's the news how many homeless there are out in la especially um I was thinking, man, you must not have a moment to yourself because out there, there's a lot of people that, you know, I'm sure uh, come to organizations like the one he has looking for help, whatever the help might be. Clothes, food, counseling, a shoulder to cry on, you know, God knows, or all of the above. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I am going to, and, and as to his predictions i don't know I, I really don't know you know um i i wasn't kidding i think that sometimes a lot of our technological advances especially in the i'm gonna in developed countries let's say like the united states i'm not gonna say everybody but we've our spiritual lives have kind of been put on a back burner because we're absorbed we're absorbed by daily life we're absorbed by living life uh we're absorbed by technology as in the phone the computer uh that that we're like instantly on demand uh i'm gonna give a perfect example i i you know my children which are full grown fully grown will call me and if I can't answer the phone for whatever reason, either I'm doing a show, sometimes I leave my phone here because I'm outside feeding my chickens. And if I don't have pockets on me, I don't want to, mom, why didn't you answer the phone? It's like, okay, because I was feeding the chickens or I was, I was on another call or I was, and what I'm saying is that this instant demand kind of lifestyle and technology and it kind of absorbs us and it distracts us away from before you know it it's the end of the day and i gotta go to sleep and wake up the next day and um it distracts us away from our spiritual lives all right 
Um, and I personally, this is my personal belief, I think that our spiritual lives, regardless of what your beliefs are, I'm not saying any denomination or non-denominations, I'm talking spiritual as in, I, I believe us, I, we are spiritual beings, um, that we do so at our own risk, because I think that for us to complement the whole of our humanity, we need that spiritual part of us needs to be nurtured accessed uh contemplated whatever what what whatever you know for some people let's say if you're catholic you do the rosary i know buddhists they also have prayer beads uh for other people it could just be i'm gonna go sit outside and i'm gonna look at that tree whatever you know to some people it's attending religious services uh, some people it's contemplating the ocean you know a lot of times we we skip over that we lose that and and it, and it happens to everybody because like i said daily life our daily life consumes us and then we of course we're distracted um tv tv shows binging on a show and by the way i'm not putting down all of those things i'm i'm not it's just great to have, you know, modern life has a lot of uh, advantages and co creature comforts. I, I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem is that it takes us over. Okay. And then sometimes people and have all these material things. All right. But they're still not happy. They feel like something's missing and they can't quite figure out. Like they always thought, well, when I get this car this house this job this significant other then i'm gonna be happy and then when you're there it's not what i thought and they're kind of overlooking the obvious which is that their spiritual lives they just they just don't acknowledge it they put it on the back burner unless there's a crisis uh and then maybe whether it's a health crisis for themselves or somebody else or something happens and that's what i was saying i think that the last 18 months um have made a lot of people uh, look at what their spiritual needs are, all right? Uh, as far as realizing, I, I need to feed this side of my life in order to make my, my daily existence more complete. And the reason why I say this is a lot of people, once upon a time, you always, and, you, and I'm sure you've heard about this, where People did uh, religious or spiritual practices almost um, to make sure I get into heaven. Like when I die, I don't go to hell. If you know, if you were Judeo-Christian and even I know other religions have their own um, versions of hell or punishment, whatever. And it was almost like, I want my guarantee, uh, especially as when people got older sometimes. But it was never like, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And I know that sounds very trite and very new age-ish, but it's pretty accurate where that part of your spiritual spirituality is part of your what eases your daily existence. As in, let's concentrate on these 24 hours and what helps me get through it, what calms me, what helps me. Um not because i'm thinking down the road i'm gonna say this i want to be part of the rapture and by this I, i'm not saying i believe in it but in other words that that there's almost that that fear component where 
if you don't believe or do certain practices, you are not going to be part of the group that gets saved. No, I'm talking about a spiritual practice that feeds your soul, your soul, not anybody else's, because we all have, you know, we're the only ones that are in our skin that helps us continue on a daily basis to have the best, how can I say, existence, a daily existence um, that one day leads to the next and helps you, whether it's a good day, whether it's a normal day, whether it's a difficult day, or weeks or months, because sometimes all those things are are strong together by days, by daily existence. And let's say we're, we're in the third dimension in modern times and we define a day as in 24 hours, that kind of thing, um, that we have something that, and I want to say for lack of a better word, you can have religious, you can, you, you can go to a temple or a church or listen to a religious leader or certain dogma that I have no problem with that if that's part but real true comfort is something that only dwells within you per se as in in each of us individually all right and uh, I'm hoping um, that a lot of people start incorporating that into part of being alive okay just being a whole human, you know, like I say, you know, connection to other human beings, I think is very important. All right. Um, and by this, I mean, I'm going to, because I've said in other shows, and, and I think that one of the things with computers and the internet that's robbed us is that before people used to go out and meet people and had that face-to-face -face interaction or people watch, I, I once upon a time when malls were really, were really popular. You would go to the malls just to go shopping and people watch and eat at the food court and you'd spend the whole day there. But it was because you love the interaction of all these people going here, going there, going to the store. And then, oh, look what I found. And I remember the, the mall days, you know, and that was great. And believe it or not, we do need that human contact. And I think we cheat ourselves of it when all we do is Zoom calls. And I mean, I understand don't get me wrong. I understand the necessity of it under certain circumstances. It's expedient business-wise. Whereas before you had to fly people in to have a meeting or let's coordinate this now. Everybody just, you know, puts on their camera and here we are. That's great. And, and there's other times where it, this, is, this is just the best way to do it. But at the same time, um, there's something said for the face-to-face -face thing that I think we lose out on. We do. And, and by the way, I'm I'm kind of more of an introvert than an extrovert. For those of you who think, oh, because you're a people person, you like to be. I'm not really. I'm kind of more of an introvert than an extrovert. Um, but still, you know, humanity needs humanity. You know, whatever the case might be. Again, guys, thanks for coming and being part of my audience. I hope you like the show. I've got a lot of interesting other guests lined up. Probably the last two weeks of December, I don't schedule any guests because... It's uh, the holidays. Everybody, including myself, is, which I think more people should do, is paying attention to the holidays, family, getting together with family, bringing families over, uh, preparing whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So probably the last two weeks I'm going to 
might not be interviewing guests because again, I find my own, my guests, my potential guests have their own things going on. So it gets really hard to coordinate an interview. So I'll probably be doing some true crime shows for those last two weeks in December. Uh, but between now and then, come back. I still have a lot of great shows lined up. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of my audience and for coming back every week. Take care. <laughs>